Blessings, everyone. Come on in. Come on in. Thank you all. Thank you all for taking the time out to join Broken Vessels Podcast. This is your host, Latoya Washington, here with our special guest tonight, Kellen Flickiger. We are so excited to have him here. So please be sure to share. I'm going to give you guys a second to go and do that to hear this wonderful testimony of hope, redemption, and restoration. We are so grateful, so grateful. I pray you all had a blessed day. Continue to support www.brokenvesselspodcast.com and subscribe, as well as our guest tonight, who has so many books that we're going to talk about tonight as well, as many as we can in the time allotted. But most importantly, I am so grateful uh, for you all to just hear this testimony of all that God has brought Kellen through. And we are grateful. So again, you guys, please be sure to share and welcome our wonderful, wonderful guest, Kellen, all the way from Canada. Thank you. Grateful to be here. Thank you so much for being here, Kellen. And so as we talked about before, the weather is like fluctuating back and forth. You got yeah, a little it was warm snow. and nice yesterday, and today's <laughs> snowing. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, but we are hoping for that summer weather to come. I'm a summer baby myself, so I'm excited for uh, the sandals and the beach and all of that. So, uh, beautiful beaches in your area, sir. You have beautiful beaches. No, in there? that we're landlocked. Alberta is uh, land on every side, so there's no uh, there's no beach here except lakes. There's some lakes up north. No beaches, no no ocean here. <laughs> well, I'm gonna send some sun your way. I mean, some some sand your way. Virtually it suits me. I'd love it. <laughs> so again, for those tuning in to Broken Vessels podcast, we have our special guest Kellen Bookager here from Canada, and he is a author as well as a coach um, and former executive as well. And he's going to touch on that. Uh, testimony slightly as well tonight in the time allotted, but I'm so grateful for his testimony. Um, before we get started and all that you're doing um, around the world and all the conversations with the many people that you've been blessed to uh, coach and, and, and encourage and uplift, tell us a little bit about Kellen. Well, the Kellen you see before you now, I'm 66, <clears throat> is quite different than the one you would have seen when I was 52. At 52 in 2007, I had an abrupt transition, a divine intervention, because uh, I had made a mess out of my own life. Uh, I, I lived from for decades with depression. I was raised in a two-parent home, but with a lot of, quote, religious discipline that today would be felony child abuse, a lot of, you know, beating and that sort of thing. And in those days, millions of years ago, because I'm 66, um, <laughs> it was, you know, and there was nowhere to go, nobody to talk to, and, and you sort of lived that. I remember getting dressed even in high school last in the PE locker room because I didn't want anyone to see that I was black and blue because I was embarrassed, like I was ashamed uh, of that sort of thing. And I left home at 17 and figured that I, I was just not okay and lived that way all of my adult life. I never talked to anyone. I created big success career-wise, executive, blah, blah, blah. 
in the United States and Canada, but I lived this roller coaster of big success, self-sabotage, and all of some of these valleys included, you know, addictions and alcohol and drugs and blah, blah, blah. And I ended up sadly married and divorced three times uh, in and out of rehab. And at the same time, huge success. So on the outside, it looked like whoop-de-doo. And behind the scenes, there was this disaster, kind of like you see in movies. I've had more than one person tell me, holy crap, is somebody going to make a movie out of this? <laughs> you know, that, that sort of complete high-functioning addict behind the scenes disaster. So I did that for 35 years, in and out of, like I said, three marriages and many career positions until in 2007, I had a divine intervention that was abrupt and sudden and changed all direction. In the last 14 years, I built a coaching practice, written 16 books and blah, 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 a bunch of stuff. But my goal right now is just to help people discover who they really are as divine beings and to create a beautiful life serving with their divine gifts. And that's all I do. Awesome, awesome. And how long have you been coaching so far? Well, after that, you know, change in 2007, I walked away from everything and I tried to figure out what to do. Uh, and I began realizing that the gift that I had developed during my years was to help people do things they thought were impossible, hard stuff. Mm -hmm. So I thought, hmm, what is that? I think that's coaching. So I went and explored, you know, some coaching programs and began building at that time. So I've been either building or creating this practice for the last 12 years or so, really intensely, probably the last six or seven and have created a clientele around the world and a lot of success. Uh, blessed, of course, by the gracious rescue that I was provided, in invitation by uh, by our father. Amen. And I love I love that we talked a couple months ago when we were you know just getting to know each other um, through the pre-interview process. But I wrote so many things down that you said that just really stick to me today is that. You said I had everything, but it still wasn't enough. And, you know, I just think that's so awesome to share how, you know, as you said, you were an executive traveling all over the world, uh, what we would consider money, uh, buku money, um, but it still wasn't enough. You know, can you share a little bit more about that? You bet. <clears throat> um... So the self-sabotage kind of happened. I would create some big career success like uh, C-suite positions. So chief operating officer and, you know, that level. I've testified before Congress. I had a contract with the Queen of England. I mean, like really high profile stuff. But behind the scenes, I felt unworthy. I don't deserve to have this. And so then I would engage in behaviors that eventually would sabotage the, either the marriage or the career position. And so I ended up having to change career positions three or four times. Uh, I, and and I, I was making enough money just before the divine intervention in 2007 that the $3,000 a week cocaine habit that I had didn't matter. Uh, I was making that much money and wasting it in that fashion. All those resources that I could have done something good with, I was wasting it on silly things because I was so empty and I guess the, the way to describe it is, you know, you can never get enough of what you don't need because what you don't need won't satisfy you. And what we all need is love, service, kindness, 
We need to be doing good, adding good to the world. And stacks of cash and cars and houses and this and that. It's fun to have, but it's empty. And it doesn't satisfy your soul because that's not how we're、yeah. built as divine、right. beings. Right, right, and 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 the flesh is never satisfied. We just want to just keep feeding it, keep feeding it, and it's just never enough. And and I, you know, three thousand dollars, as we talked before, we could do so much with that. But even though your addiction may have been, you know, drugs, there's so many people who are addicted to so many other things, you know, position and 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 titles and and prestige. Um, but it's still never enough. You can have job after job, title after title. But as you're saying, it still wasn't enough because there was issues internally that was that was I felt a void or that just was empty. Thank you for sharing that. You bet. I, I felt I didn't deserve it, so I created these things, and I felt like I didn't deserve it, so I would wreck it. And then that by wrecking it, it would prove that I sucked as bad as I believed that I did in my heart. And then I would like, oh, I don't want to be here. I got to do this again, and so I'd go somewhere else and. You know, just this whoops, silly roller coaster. Sad, sad. I, I don't mean make to trivialize it because during that time I got、right. so depressed that I attempted suicide a couple times, and you know it was terrible. And until God intervened. Yeah, and you know it, it's it's just I thank God that you at least recognized it. You know, one of the saddest parts is is as you continue to go down this roller coaster ride, as you said. You didn't notice that you were doing this to yourself or self-sabotaging, and it took some honest self-reflection and that, and that divine moment, as you said, where it's like God had to show you yourself. Where I'm, you're playing a part in this cycle.、Um, you know, I think that's important for us to be aware and acknowledge. What do you think of concerning that? I t- completely, because every single one of us, every one of you listening to this show. Know that during our lives we feel those intuitions, those divine invitations to do things, and so often we ignore them, we blow them off, we downplay them, we say not now, yeah, and you know they're there and they will continue to be there. And our opportunity is to say yes, even if we don't know exactly what it means to lean in, to say, okay, what does this mean? What shall I do? Instead of ignoring things like I did for so long, yeah, yeah, and it's it's not healthy to ignore it either because it's going to have a profound effect on your life,、uh, your spiritual walk, your those connected to you. Because I know even those around you, they were affected by your behavior as well. Well, I was completely alienated from my family of origin. I was off the Christmas card list, so to speak. Nobody talked to me. Once in a while. I would talk to my mom, but she had no idea what was going on. My brothers and sisters were, you know, ostracized, and I was literally alone. I had no one. One of the things that's so important is to take the opportunity to talk to people, get help, counselors, people at church, somebody. But I didn't do that for all those years. When I left home at 17 until I was 52, I never talked to a soul. About what was going on inside of me, I, I put on a facade. I did what I thought I was supposed to do, but I never sought help for my own mess. I just、yeah. kept believing if I just keep, you know, pushing forward, and eventually, of course, that crashes. 
Yeah, yeah. And so one thing that you talked, you shared a couple months ago and you brought it up a couple times tonight is that you tried to kill yourself twice. But not only that, you died and came back and you were in a coma for two and a half weeks. Tell us about that period. It, it just, it's well, just my, so let me, my let God. Me this, yeah, no, that happened too, but that was a blessing. That wasn't yeah. part of the wake up. So uh, the t suicide attempts were in in the years just before the divine intervention and uh, the divine intervention was a, an event that happened on in august of 2007 uh, i got home from uh, work on a friday night and i was getting ready to go party for the weekend you know like i always did and and before i went out i, I was single i was uh, living with four of my 10 children they were teenagers they took care of themselves i was going to go party for the weekend and before I went outside or went to go, I, I felt like I needed to turn on the TV. So I did. I went to do it and picked up the remote and realized I didn't know how uh, because that had some electronics. The guy came and put in big, cool stuff, but I never watched TV. So I looked at the remote and I'm like, Ooh, okay. And I had to have one of my kids, my 16 year old daughter came in and she punched some buttons and threw it at me, you know, dipweed. So I, I, it landed on a program that I'd never heard of, but I didn't watch TV, so I'd never heard of any of them. And the name of the program was Intervention. Now, those of you that know, know that that's a reality TV show about people who stage interventions for busted loved ones. So I watched about 10 minutes of it, and the protagonist was a high-ranking executive with a cocaine problem. So I'm watching myself on the screen. I'm like, yeah, I'm not watching this crap. So I turned it off, and I did some more stuff, and... I was getting ready to go out and then I felt like I just had to turn the TV back on. So I picked up the remote. Now this time I knew how, so I turned it on and that program started over in the middle of the hour. No, I don't have a DVR. No, it wasn't on the schedule. No, it can't do that. I got it, but it did. So I'm freaked out. I'm like, okay, holy crap. I guess I'm supposed to watch this. So I watched it. It went badly. The guy yelled at his family, stomped out, refused help, you know, the drill. And, uh, but it freaked me out so much that I didn't go out. I went to bed. And when I went to bed, I went to hell. Mm. And what I mean by that, and this was the wake up call, I went to a place that felt like I was out of body in a big theater, it was dark. And on the stage, all of the scenes of my life focused on the suffering sort of played out from the beatings and suffering that I experienced as a kid up through all the suffering I'd inflicted on other people as an addict and, you know, all the stuff in my life. And it was the most horrific feeling of suffering I'd ever experienced. And after a while, a long time, a voice said, it is enough. Mm -hmm. I woke up and the sun was shining in the window, which was weird because the windows faced west. I got up and I realized it was five o'clock Saturday afternoon. And I thought, holy crap, I've been somewhere for 18, nearly 18 hours. And <clears throat> I thought I've been invited to change. I have no idea what I'm gonna do. I have no idea how to do this, but I'm done. So I quit cold turkey uh, that day in 2007. Um, the other piece of that divine intervention was two weeks later, I, had, uh, I hadn't quit and walked away from my jobs yet, which I knew I needed to do, but I was like figuring out what to do. I used to get free stuff as an executive position. You know, they give you free stuff. Other companies do because you make decisions and they want to be nice and all that stuff. One of the things I got was a pair of tickets to see a concert, Yo-Yo Ma. A, if you know classical music, you know who that is. Oh. 
And if you don't, that's fine. But he's like way up there. So I thought, all right, well, it'd be a shame to waste this other ticket. Like, right, I'm single. I don't know. And so I asked in the groups that I managed who likes classical music. And some lady said, I do. And so I looked at her and I said, have I ever given you anything before? And she said, no. I said, okay, fine. See you there. So I gave her the ticket. We met at the venue. The concert was spectacular. And halfway through, I got to remember, I'm two weeks stone cold sober at this time. Halfway through, I had this feeling come over me that I recognized from two weeks earlier. And I'm like, okay. And this voice said in my mind, you need to marry this woman. And I said, you're insane. <laughs> uh, I screwed that up three times officially and some other messes in between, not happening. And later that night, we were backstage because they were backstage passes. And the boys came back and said, yeah, <clears throat> comma, and you need to tell her tonight. Wow. So I flipped out and argued because, like, she could have me arrested. Like, harassed <laughs> Like, oh, for crying out loud. But you don't win those arguments. So I did. And it went about like you would have expected. I mean, I didn't even know if she had a boyfriend. I, yeah. I, I don't know. And, but she didn't have me arrested. So that was the good news. That's and a good thing. Two weeks, yeah, <laughs> within two weeks, she had her own set of experiences. She walked away from her career. I walked away from millions of dollars in contracts. We walked off into the sunset together. And four months ago, we celebrated our 14th wedding anniversary. So as crazy as that story is, love story and everything else, the, the reason it's important is because she was the angel sent to help me deal with the depression, the self-loathing that I had never talked to anyone about. She helped me learn how to be a person, how to have a friend, how to be a friend, how to tell the truth. She mm. found me counselors to talk to and on and on and on. And the fun part, her name is Joy. Oh. Like, you can't make this stuff up, right? And so that was the turning point. Now, the near-death experience she talked about happened 11 years later, 2018. So I'd been writing books and doing the best that I could to be, a, you know, to change life and all the rest for 10 years. And Joy and I went on a cruise. We'd never been on a cruise before, so we went. And at the end of it, I got sick. And when we got home, I didn't go get attention right away. I thought, kept thinking it would go away and it got worse and worse and worse. And got sick on Monday. So by Friday, I thought, I, you know, it's not getting okay. I need to go to the doctor. So I went to a walk-in clinic and they wouldn't let me in. Mm -hmm. uh, they took one look at me and said, yeah, we can't help you get out of here. Go, go to the ER right now. So I did. And in 10 minutes, I was in a private room. I mean, you know, emergencies like an hour, two, three. I thought, oh, this is not good. I didn't even know they had private rooms in the ER. So anyway, bottom line is things went downhill from there. And that night, uh, my heart stopped. I died. And when that happened, I came to spiritually in a gray room. I was horizontal like I was in the intensive care. And the room is all gray, but over my left shoulder, I could see a door. And I wanted to be at that door. And so then I was standing at the door and I'm leaning on the door jam on my right shoulder. And I noticed on the other side of the door, it was white. My side was gray and that side was white. And I thought, okay. And there was someone on the other side leaning on that door jam. And he looked at me and said, do you want to come home? 
And in about a millionth of a second, I knew who I was talking to, where I was, and what that all meant and everything. And so we talked about it for quite a while. And I finally said, I, you know, we talked about everything I'd done and what had happened 10 years before and all that other stuff. And I finally said, I'm not done. Okay. So I'm quite sure that's when they were able to restart my heart. The next day, and I don't know how it was a day later, you just know that sort of thing. I'm back at the door and we had another long conversation about what to do, what I was going to do and uh, some more things. And I had an experience that's like the, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Contact with Jodie Foster, where some aliens beam some info down and they build a weird thing. Yeah. But I had this intense experience that was like that. I felt like if I hadn't been in a bubble, I would have been incinerated. But I came away with four important truths, and they're part of the books that I wrote about this. Number one is that we're all intentional divine creations, really. Not maybe, not woo. Number two, we, every one of us have gifts and talents that we were given. Number three, we have a purpose and mission that we not only agreed to, but we were excited about. Mm. And number four, all the help we need is available from both sides of that door. And so I said, okay, since that's true, why do we mostly settle for crumbs? Mm. And I don't know if in the economy of heaven, brevity is a virtue, but the answer was four words. Because you don't believe. Mm. And I thought, oh, man. Okay. What can I do about that? Right? And he said, oh, glad you asked. So then he gave me an entire framework that I wrote in a second book. I wrote... The whole book about the experience in a book called Meeting God at the Door. Conversations, choices, and commitments of a near-death experience. And then I wrote what he gave me in that second conversation in the book of Context. And what that has to, to do with anything is we live. I'm going to say this really slow because this might be the most important thing we do. We live in a, in a, a context straitjacket, which is the collection of our beliefs and definitions and experiences and it limits what we think we can have what we think we can do what we think we can be right and the truth is it's of our own making and so the real important thing is to learn to change the things we believe are possible with god's help and to try new things listen to that intuition and inspiration and that's the stuff that I wrote about in that book is a method of system about how to play a game instead of fighting with our beliefs. And so then the last of the three conversations was the next day. And I was really excited. I came back to the door. I was jumping up and down. I was repeating all the stuff in my mind that I was going to write in that second book, blah, blah, blah. And we're back at the door and he looked at me and he asked me one question. Are you sure? Mm. And I thought, what do you mean, am I sure? Am I stupid? Did I miss something? Am I biting off more than I can chew? Like, what do you mean? Am I sure? And so we talked about it for a while. And finally I said, yes. And he said, okay. And nothing was said, but it, the conversation ended with a finality that I knew we were done. 
so that was the end of those conversations. And then I was in a coma for another two weeks, hmm. uh, two and a half weeks total. And then I came out of that. And they told me after I got out of the coma that what I had, you know, COVID, we talk about a two to three percent mortality rate, two or three percent people die. They told me what I had had a 10 day kill rate of 100 percent. Wow. In other words, of course you died. It kills people, right? That's it. And so that was a, a, a gift, a blessing, a choice mm -hmm. to come back and to live only with one purpose. And that's to help every person I can understand who they really are and what's really possible by leaning into and living with their divine gifts. Yes, yes. So again, I just thank you, Kellen, so much for any new books that you have coming out or anything like that that you're working on for those tuning in or who catch yes. the replay. I just finished a book in December. It'll be out in about two weeks. And the name of that book is Forgiveness, A Journey of Courage to a Place of Freedom and Power. And it talks about the role that forgiveness plays unburdening our souls, no longer living past events, whether we did dumb things and we can't forgive ourselves or whether people did things to us. For me, there was just boatloads of guilt and shame and self-loathing because of who I had been. And I couldn't forgive myself for a long time. And with other people, it is bad things that have been done to them. Well, as long as we carry those rocks, we can't be fully the people God intends us to be and do the things we have to do. So that's why I wrote that book. All of the books that I've written have come out of my own learnings and experience. Uh, and so that's, uh, that's the one that was most recently finished. Oh, that sounds wonderful. So for those tuning in, um, please be sure to visit www.kellenflickager.com and purchase his books also sign up for any coaching programs that he may have as well i know he's going to drop some nuggets and some gems uh for those who participate um in the coaching program truly a blessing kellen truly a blessing so if there's anything else that you would like to share before we head out tonight there's something that i took me a long time to learn <clears throat> and i want to share it with your listeners because often we we get the feeling that it's too late. We've done too many dumb things. Our time has passed. Our opportunity has passed. We're just not worth the effort. I want to assure you, I mean, if there was ever a candidate to be left at the bottom of the canyon, you know, I'm the poster child. <laughs> it is never too late. It is never beyond hope. It is never impossible to learn to lean into your divine gifts, to have a big impact, to make a difference, and to have a joyful life by discovering, developing, and serving with those gifts and talents that you've been given. Living in love and forgiveness and creativity and prosperity is really and truly possible, no matter where you've been, no matter where you are right now. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And again, for those tuning in and for those who catch the replay, please visit www.kellenflukager.com to support 
all that he is doing as well as get that book. I can't wait to get uh, the book about forgiveness. I think that's going to be a blessing to many of us who struggle in that area. But again, thank you, Kellen. And thank you all for tuning in to Broken Vessels Podcast. Have a blessed evening. Thank you for having me, LaToya. You're welcome.